0: This wasn't designed for us to fight. This was designed for us to understand that this isn't just like, oh, you get $100,000, you get $100,000, you get. It's like, how do we get the most out of this incredible gift? And how do we make sure that this doesn't work if only one venture succeeds? This only works if all five of us succeed. Everyone is happy and successful because the rest of us are successful and we have each other's backs.
1: Welcome to SheEO.World, a podcast about redesigning the world. I'm your host, Vicki Saunders. In each episode, you'll hear from CEO venture founders, women who are working on the world's to-do list. These innovative business leaders are solving some of the major challenges of our times. Sit back and prepare to be inspired.
0: I'm Alana Ben-Ari. I am the founder of 21 Toys and the designer of the Empathy Toy and the Failure Toy. And I started 21 Toys, which is a learning and development toy company, using toys to teach what textbooks can't.
1: Welcome. I'm so glad to have you here today. (laughs) I can't wait for the world to know more about your story. So tell us a little bit about how you happened upon this. Did you step back and think, I want to start a business? And you did market research and figured it all out? Or dot dot dot. What's your story?
0: (laughs) Definitely not that bad. (laughs) So I'm typically I'm not linear, but especially with the birth of Twenty One Toys, I like to joke that it was like a series of escalating dares. So my story starts when I was studying design in university, and my thesis year of industrial design, which is product design, I was tasked with designing a product uh, initially for the visually impaired community the project just transformed so well. It started off with this idea that I would design something that would be like the brief set and navigational aid for uh, the visually impaired community. I ended up changing the brief, but continuing its core elements where I started talking to and meeting with people who had visual impairment and their friends and family, what's known as empathic research and discovered very quickly that I could make a BlackBerry with really big buttons or you know, a lot of tech solutions, but at the core, it really showed up in the conversations I had that there is just a huge social and emotional gap between the visually impaired and the sighted community that is even more exacerbated at like a very young age, so when you're, you're a really young kid. So that led me to design a toy, which is now known as the empathy toy. As the story goes, I would I designed it in my studio, I would test it during the day with uh, visually impaired students and at night tested with the sighted adults in my studio. And that's when I realized that the toy was just as challenging and rewarding for multiple ages and abilities. Uh, so that's when I got the first spark that I said, look, this, this toy is actually allowing for some really rich and really deep insights into how you deal with stress, how you deal with patience, but also how you creatively communicate. So putting yourself into another person's shoes to solve this complex challenge, like the adults are having just as much of a challenge as the, as a student. So I realized it was, it wasn't exclusive. It was inclusive. And the toy ended up winning this best in show design award. So I did what any designer would do at that stage, which was, I said, great, this toy won an award, which business do I sell it to? <laughs> <laughs> And then luckily, no one was interested in starting an empathy toy company. (laughs) So after a few years of um, just paying off student loans, and I kept kind of going back to it, I thought, you know what, I want to start my own toy company. And it's not your typical sort of toys. It's really about looking back at my own experiences in education, which was the idea that I worked really, really hard to get good marks. And I was one of those, what you call an A student. But being good at school had almost nothing to do with being good at life or work for that matter. And that made me both furious, um, but it also gave me that passion to say, well, what could we be teaching? What aren't we teaching? And that's where I thought we need to be teaching skills like empathy, failure, and we aren't going to be able to teach that with textbooks. That was the first dare.
1: <laughs> right. I mean, that's, it's so interesting because I've heard this from a couple of adventures in our community, specifically B. when I think about the Alinker, mm-hmm. and how it's literally... She doesn't like it when someone says, this is for this certain group of people. In fact, by using this, you start to actually get more emotionally in touch with other people mm-hmm. and how they're not included. And so that's, that's just like such a cool insight. So Toys are the New Textbooks, uh, you had said way back <laughs> in the day. I don't yes. know if you still talk about that, but I love that framing, this whole experiential approach, right? Which when you go through an experience, you have a chance to sort of rewire and rethink things. I know that you are now at another stage, which we're so excited about. You're about to launch a whole new thing. Do you want to talk a little bit about that?
0: Yeah. So I joke, I call it 21 Toys. Uh, It stands for 21st Century Skills. But a lot of people think it's because I have 21 toys. The two in 21 is silent at the moment. So we're being a one toy company for a really long time. When we first heard about GEO, I had gotten some amazing traction. We're about three years into the empty Toy. But I've always wanted to create an entire launch, like a whole line of toys. And the failure toy has always been the next step. So many of our conversations about empathy lead to conversations about failure and vice versa. So many conversations about failure lead to empathy. Any minute now, we're about to launch the failure toy, which has about, been about three plus years in the making. I'm both terrified and incredibly excited right now.
1: Let's step back a bit into the creative process around this. And then we can talk about the business piece after, but failure is such a huge thing. Like I personally don't even love the word, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's like everything is learning and you know, failure is feedback and all that kind of stuff. And so what? why is this important? Why is it important to actually practice failure with a toy?
0: Yeah. Well, I, it's kind of a multi-layered answer. So where I would start with, and it's the same for empathy as it is with failure, we can all acknowledge that those are skills that we need to learn. They're like the future job skills, not just to be a good human, but just to be a good like, worker, <laughs> colleague, inventor. You need to really understand what those, those skills are. But I think when we talk about empathy and then also with failure, it's not about just be super empathic. All you do is just be really empathic. And the same with failure, especially in the startup community, we're saying fail fast, fail often, which in certain contexts, you get the sentiment, but it's actually quite tone deaf. And at the most, it's actually quite dangerous. I like to say that I'm on a lot of like entrepreneurship panels where they'll say, "Oh, I it wasn't until I had my fourth business that that one worked." And I was like, "I can't afford to have to try three businesses right. yeah, <laughs> and yeah. then have my fifth one work." And I think that we are just working in extremes right now. So we're either practicing legs, what I like to say is failure abstinence, which is we're just not talking about it in school, and fingers crossed everyone's going to figure it out on their own. To the more extreme, which is we're being asked to be innovative, creative designers and fail fast, fail often. And there's no middle ground conversation about the fact that failure means something different to everybody. It's entirely based on context. And we react to things in completely unique ways, and there's not one right way. So I'd like to say that we need to start at like failure 101 and failure education. And where that starts is with self awareness. So understanding how you deal with risk, how you deal with competition how you deal with things like perfection. And it doesn't have to all be negative. It's just, I might, with presented with a new challenge, just dive right in and do zero planning. I might work really hard to build something and then I'm being told, okay, now you can restart. And I'm like, but I don't want to restart. I love it. I don't want to touch it. I just figured this thing out. There's so many different ways that we navigate creating and inventing and iteration. And then not just do I need to understand myself, but then I need to understand the people I'm working with. And then the larger context of things. So there's so much room for us to have just conversations and acknowledgements of just the different ways that each person reacts to things. And that's where I think we need to start the conversation because what I hear when I hear fail fast is suppress all your emotions and feelings. Don't talk about all the awful things that you've gone through and just tell us about that time you failed once you have this amazing success story.
1: Right. That's
0: right.
1: And it's also (laughs) like the ultimate privilege, Right. Yeah, like, no, I
0: just fail, fail,
1: fail. You'll raise more money. You'll do the next thing. Yeah. It's,
0: yeah. Yeah. And so, and I think, so some people really go, yeah, fail fast. That's amazing. And other people go, not for me. That's ridiculous. And then they just shut down the conversation. Whereas we're, I'm hoping and what I'm seeing with the toy that the space that we live is in, in between in the gray zone of all of that. So we're not saying this is the one silver bullet. This is the answer. The, the goal is for you to just better understand yourself when you're under certain circumstances and there's certain challenges and behaviors that come up.
1: Okay, cool. Yeah. So let's step back to, now you're on your second toy, but let's go back to uh, the empty toy for a second and talk about, so you had created this thing, you would sort of tested it out, you applied to CEO, you had already had customers, you were in a bunch of countries, like how did you go to market and how have you grown that business? Mm-hmm.
0: When I first started 21 Toys and with the idea of the mission, I didn't even consider getting investors or even wanting to go down that route for so many reasons. One of them being, I just, I didn't need someone in a suit to tell me why this wasn't going to (laughs) work. I was like, I'm good. So my goal from day one was I need to go direct to the consumer. I need to go to get direct to like my user and hopefully they'll become my customer. The idea of like toys of the new textbooks is a really good reflection of how in the first few years, it was really about education and just about schools and education. Now we've expanded beyond that. I would take the prototypes of the empathy toy and I would essentially volunteer or break into education conferences. I would leave a toy in a table. I'd walk away and then I would just see who showed up and would say like, um, whose toy is this? What is this? And that would invite a conversation. That ended up getting me introduced to um, the superintendent of a school board in Ontario and they put in their first order. So from day one, I was bootstrapping and I was paying for production with a combination of people who paid and waited. So when that first school order came in, I said, great, I'm going to need you to pay upfront in full. And I think it'll be ready in about six months, which I didn't even think was a hard negotiation tactic. I was just telling them the facts. (laughs) I was like, yeah, I had some money. I had a few thousand dollars saved up for the company, but I ended up using that, trying to launch it in the UK and then in Helsinki. And so when that didn't work out and I ended up in Toronto, I think I had like a thousand dollars left in my bank account. This was a moment of like, if this is going to work, it needs to work in the next six months. So I was at that moment when I was like breaking into education conferences, I was like sleeping on my best friend's couch. I was really um, being quite scrappy. And then when I got that first order, the timing worked out that that happened at the exact same moment. I won the the Spin Master Innovation Award, which was a five-year award loan, which also gave us mentorship with Spin Master Toys that just so happened to be a toy company just by coincidence. And then we started winning like kind of award loans. Side note, the joke was some of the award loans, some people said their accounts looked at it and said, you won this? (laughs) So (laughs) ups and downs. (laughs) Eventually at the point that I heard about Chigo was about three years in, we'd be getting a lot of traction. We went into our first mass production after our first year by doing a Kickstarter campaign. That's how we got into over 30 countries. Uh, We got some amazing press. So Time Magazine called The Empathy Toy, one of six new technology shaping like the future classrooms. And then we just got international customers. So we started to get a lot of traction. Where it got really interesting was that we expanded beyond just selling toys directly. We started selling workshops. There was traction to sell professional development workshops, not just in schools, but in HR and talented learning departments and also to provide training for those that wanted to embed the toys into larger programming. So there were like all these options, but I was on maybe zero sleep cash flow. I had like runway like every month I was just like eating what I killed. And I just had an incredibly loyal team that had stuck with me as contractors that were like waiting for the next big step or big win so that I could just put them on on payroll. When I applied for CEO we were at such an important moment in time where i every time i gone into production before i had like emptied my entire bank account and then just fingers crossed holding my breath hoping that we make that money back as quickly as possible cuz no factory is going to start production without a 50% deposit when i first heard about geo i thought this would be just amazing to help with cash flow as well as i can start actually keeping my contractors, built putting them on a payroll, and amazing, actually have somebody help me <laughs> with following up on the traction in the, the corporate market while we continue to to keep the momentum going with with education. What I didn't expect was just the incredible community that I was invited into, not just the the other ventures, but the SHIO activators. I was lucky enough that I was at your early stage experimentation. So we were like the first year venture. So we had absolutely no idea what we were getting into. But that plus the mentorship and Like all of that combined, it completely just changed our our trajectory.
1: One of the things that we learned from you that was so exciting, like I, when I was first conceiving of this idea, was there are all these women out there who have a ton of experience and expertise and network connections and influence who are not connected with entrepreneurs. And there are all these entrepreneurs who need to get plugged in. So this kind of two sided marketplace idea was just that an idea, and fingers crossed that connecting people into relationship would actually really transform things. And I remember that you know you were one of the the first ventures where people saw what you we were doing, and we had um, one of our activators, Colleen from Oslers, came along, Colleen Moorhead, and she took the toy and she sent it out to five different law firms, right? And Thank she's you. like, "You guys need this." <laughs> you need to figure out how to do this. And it started to lead to things, right? And then one of our our other activators came along and maybe you can talk about her, Sherry Griffiths, She's like so special and how that really kind of helped you with like the first size contract.
0: Yeah, like one of the big things when you're running a business is I'm head down in the office. So the opportunities to actually get out there and connect with people is really challenging. I was, yeah, I was introduced to Colleen, who's amazing. We connected with a number of activators. Sherry Griffiths, like saw the huge opportunity for us to create an incredible impact at the Institute for Learning at the Bank of Montreal. She was able to make a connection to Tara and Gina, who were running, running IFL at that time. And the timing couldn't have been more perfect because a lot of financial institutions talk about empathy and empathy is like was starting to get traction at that point but the Bank of Montreal had actually embedded empathy into their like being BMO documents. This was something that they truly believed in, that they were embedding and trying to embed into all their leadership programs. But one of their challenges was how do we make being BMO come to life? How do we bring it to life? And what the empathy toy did was that it took something that they're already already trying to teach, but it made it stick and it made it resonate and it made it personal to each individual person. So Right after Sherry made the intro, but also Julie, Julie Bargamart took a risk and said yes to bring us in to do a workshop with like the very, very C level people at BMO. They loved the workshop, gave it their, their thumbs up. After we were introduced by Sherry to the IFL, we got a call like I think within a week that said, Can you do a 200 person, 90 minute workshop <laughs> in like a week? And we said yes and we landed into it. And that sped up. Our facilitator team was went from one, we're now at 15 people. We have a 15-person facilitation team that not only launched us to grow out our facilitator team, but at its most, we were running six workshops, not just in Canada, but the US within that, just for that one client. So they were using it so much and they, they were saying that it was like um, an empathetic We're trying to figure it out as like an empathy virus, like an (laughs) epidemic or something. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So like when I was talking with like their legal department, because we needed to like, okay, we need to rush the legal, like, let's get the MSA in. They were saying how like, this is like a virus (laughs) because they couldn't keep track of how many people were hearing about it and then calling us. And so so what that ended up leading into is by the end of that year, we had started a real conversation about, look, we can go in and we can run a workshop. I didn't start this company so I could run a workshop company. I started this because I want to create the world's first global community of toy educators and facilitators. What would it look like if we put the toys into the hands of your facilitators? We certified them and they ran workshops. So they have reached I think to date in just their first year, at least 5,000 of their own employees with the team. And we haven't run any of those workshops. Their own people have been running those workshops. So the impact that we're going to have, it's now a multi-year opportunity. That wouldn't have been possible without that initial introduction. And for so Sherry to take that risk with us.
1: Well, this to me is is really the, the message underneath what we've done is like reorganizing the resources that we have out there, right? Very... Many people with lots of connections are not in relationship with entrepreneurs. Like we're not of the same DNA, right? All the entrepreneurs hang out with each other and are like super positive about everything. It's going to take three weeks, got it (laughs) covered. And then you're like, oh, (laughs) holy crap, that took three months. Why? What? Uh, And then I, I sit with corporate people in our network and they're like, oh my God, you entrepreneurs, you always, you're so optimistic. It's crazy but to to get in this network and be radically generous with each other and create that support it just makes ev- it lifts everybody you okay. get what you need they feel like they're helping someone who's starting out early they have this need as well and when you can find that perfect win-win it's just delicious and so thank you for that because it's it was one of the being in the first cohort you really helped us to create a story of what was possible we yeah. didn't really know that was going to happen it was just amazing and i guess one of the things to mention to people listening is that the activators in our network who contribute capital are the ones who vote. So they vote for things they're really excited about and therefore more likely to help. And so you got into BMO, you started to work with uh, obviously lots of other people in the community. Can you talk a little bit about the coaching and that sort of guided development Mm -hmm. support and how that helped with the structure as
0: well? Yeah, I mean, coaching just felt, for better or worse, so inaccessible when you're trying to like just keep your company afloat. The idea of spending additional money on someone to talk to is was a hard thing for me to be convinced. And what I loved was that you knew that the way that she was signed is that you knew that going in. So we got coaching for the year. And now I've hired now the, the coaches because it's now invaluable to me. So having somebody that's in my corner is huge, having someone I'm accountable to. But also there's just there's so many things I just don't know and I don't have experience with. So anything from how do I scale my team? So how do I empower my team to be independent and accountable to, I'm having a really bad day and I need just like a pep talk that like, I'm not completely inept (laughs) or on the other note, I made a really big mistake. How do I recover from that? Like, there's just so many things that happen, even just within one day, within a startup that having somebody that you can meet with on like a regular basis and like continue moving the goal forward, it allows you to take a step back and just reflect on where you're at because so often you can just it's so easy to get immediately overwhelmed and then things start feeling possible, which is one of the worst things like well, your beta, greatest trait is being curious and optimistic and sleep deprivation and like an insane amount of operations logistics like all the things that especially happen when you're dealing with a physical product especially it's just having that that mentor that coach was huge. in addition that was happening at the same time that I was getting introduced to to BMO and other clients as well. Also getting a bit more insights into what are different ways that we can start conversations with companies that we don't know or conversations that are companies that are excited about what we're doing. But how do we start that conversation at every stage the the coaching was exceptional and there's no way that I would have thought to get that if it hadn't been presented.
1: I haven't talked about this with anyone on the podcast yet, but <laughs> such a really funny blog post you did about Mm -hmm. going to the retreat, going (laughs) out into the woods with a bunch of women. So one of the things that people probably don't know is how the, the capital gets divided up in our network is all the ventures get together. They meet each other for the first time. They go away for a weekend, meet their coaches, and they divide up the money themselves. Can you talk a little bit about, you were the first group through, so there's nobody else to tell the story. Just let people in a little bit on that, that crazy thing. Yeah,
0: I, I think we're close enough now that I can say it. Without it being. I, so at that stage in the business, I was both very tired, but I also, for better or worse, we'd been really lucky. I'd, I'd won a number, like, like we'd won enough awards that I'd kind of been introduced to companies that, organizations that wanted to support entrepreneurs, but I was also being introduced to organizations that, for lack of better words, I called like B-roll organization. So they just want me so they can get B-roll and get smiling, happy people. And they're, look how much they're helping social entrepreneurs. It created a bit of pessimism for me, which was, okay, I'm going to apply for this award and hopefully we'll get money. And if they can support me or help me with some good advice, that's great. Like I kind of lowered the bar a little bit with my expectations of it. When I applied for CEO, I was going in and being like, okay, this sounds maybe too good to be true. Like, what's the, like, what's the catch? I don't understand. And then when we found out that we had won, I was both very excited, but one has a very different (laughs) meeting when the way that it worked was that uh, in that first year, uh, $500,000 had been raised. And we were one of the five ventures across Canada that won the access to the $500,000 interest-free loan. But how it was divided was yet to be decided. All I knew was that I was going into the woods to stay at a cabin with four competitors, (laughs) for lack of better words, to fight about money (laughs) was the frame I went into it. Because I just thought, oh, okay, this is like a reality TV show. They're going to get us to like wrestle for this. And so in the lead up to it, I was so guarded because I really didn't know what I was going into when I met the ventures, everyone was really nice. But my, the joke that maybe I I don't remember if I wrote this in the article, but when I speak about it more in like conversation, I'll say like, we all arrived and everyone was like so nice to each other. Like they were so nice to each other to a point where I was just like, what's going on? Like what's the strategy? <laughs> like, <once> everyone's <laughs> like everyone's like, everyone was being like, oh, this tea is delicious. And like this this cabin is is gorgeous. And I was like, everyone's just being like, please like me, please like me. <laughs> because we're about to go into a really intense weekend with complete strangers. And then we were taken through trust exercises where like in the lead up to it, we were asked to fill out these surveys that asked about like our risk profile. I think it was Lauren and MJ, but Lauren was the one that had it on a poster. And she literally showed everyone in the group. They were like, You're really aggressive. You back down. And I was like, What are you doing? <laughs> like, you're, you're giving people all of the insight. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And so I was just like, <laughs> Really in, in a bit of a state. And then that was all day Saturday. And then we got to know each other. We got to understand each other's business models all the way into then Sunday started with the negotiation. There was no, Playbook, like what's going to happen. And so we sat down, each person talked about, each person went in a circle and said, okay, what was the number that you asked for? And there was $500,000 on the table. Collectively, our group asked for over (laughs) $900,000. And then I was like, okay, is this one we (laughs) fight? Instead, what happened is we went in a circle and we said, okay, what is the minimum? Like, what do you need that will change your business at this point in time? And the number ended up collectively being under $500,000. And so then my assumption would be, okay, so we're just going to wrap this up. But we ended up spending, as you definitely know, hours because <laughs> you were waiting in the other cabin discussing what is the right division and where my brain just twisted and untwisted and I fully understood what she, why she exists and what the intention of it was. This wasn't designed for us to fight. This was designed for us to understand that this isn't just like, oh, you get $100,000, you get $100,000, you get. It's like, how do we get the most out of this incredible gift? And how do we make sure that this doesn't work if only one venture succeeds? This only works if all five of us succeed. And that came out in the most insane way when we went around on the table and everyone lowered their numbers. We had known from the day before that someone on the in the group back down very easily. And we collectively asked that person, are you just backing down? And encouraged them to ask for the real number and, that, and she upped her number. And we were happy about that. <laughs> and like that blew my mind. Like that was just the most insane, crazy moment. And I think at that point I just been, it was so raw. And when it wrapped up, I was like, I got a yes from four other female founders that I respect and I now love and I'm forever bonded with. <laughs> that they want me to succeed. They want to get out of my way and they want to support me in every way. And it was the most insanely different experience that I've had because there's always been a catch. There's always been, okay, we're going to give you this money, but you have to do this thing or you have to... And also like they want me to succeed, but like not really. They need me to succeed for as long as that article is posted. This is truly, they are happy. Everyone is happy and successful because the rest of us are successful and we have each other's backs. I don't know if I told you this, but like after that weekend, like just the emotional roller coaster, like I didn't even make it fully to my bed. I just dropped my bags and I just like, just cried. (laughs) Like I just like (laughs) dropped in the floor and I was like, I am a mess. (laughs) What is, what just happened? Yeah, it was, it was just the most insane experience. So you took me from being the scaredest pessimist of like, (laughs) what kind of insane thing are you going to make me do to just like, I am on board for this for life. This is, Mm. this is insane. Yeah. Oh,
1: you've got me <laughs> teared up now.
0: Uh, yeah. Because it, I mean, you really, this whole first cohort, ugh,
1: I'm like, yeah, <laughs> nobody can crying. see me right now, but I'm crying and you're crying. Um, <laughs> it was totally my dream that we could show you can do things differently. Like yeah. it's not this scarcity uh, and there's not enough and you have to fight for whatever you can get. For us, it was really 500 women were radically generous and gifted. Money to you, not knowing how you're going to spend it, who is going to be selected. Like they just said, here, this matters, and the the five of you are really like just and like unbelievably perfect first cohort, right? <laughs> just it worked well, yeah.
0: But i I was so amazed at the risk that that you and the way that it was designed, the way that CEO designed the weekend was a risk. You trusted us that we would we would step into that. Like that's, I couldn't imagine what it felt like for you in the other room, not knowing I how that closed going.
1: my eyes and crossed <laughs> my fingers. Uh, well, because this is what I do, though. Like I trust until I don't trust. Right. Part of this whole thing is, and you're a designer, so you understand this. It's you design an experience and you create the conditions that were loving and full of radical generosity. I mean, this was, you called it a cabin. This was a beautiful um, farm that the weekend was gifted to us by activators in our network. It was their family cabin. One of them's a chef. She was in the kitchen cooking and making this delicious, nutritious food. You were like really well fed. It was a little uncomfortable because you didn't know each other and you're like sharing rooms. And I bared my soul at the beginning and said, please, please, please do the right thing. (laughs) And And I don't know what the right thing is, but This is our first experiment. This is a global experiment, and if we f this up, we're done. Mm -hmm. Uh, But no pressure. Over to you. (laughs) Have a a great weekend. The transformative experience is is like a total dream that that's possible. And then you know each of these stories starts to create a culture, and this is really what it's all about. So thank you for being an amazing first person and magic (laughs) of the universe that you were all in on this. I'd like to talk a little bit about so the emotional thing, which is just like let it go and lose it, which I do daily as an entrepreneur. (laughs) I wonder if you could share a little bit about how you take care of you. It is so hard to be an entrepreneur, right? It's a crazy choice.
0: It is. It is crazy. And also, I also find that I need to retreat and only talk to other entrepreneurs because you're not going to necessarily get a lot of sympathy (laughs) for people. Like I might be like, but you chose this. And I'm like, okay, I can't talk to you right now. I'll talk to you later. But it is so intense and I would never claim that I've in any way figured out, like I'm figuring it out. My circumstances have been really, really, now the more I reflect on it, really interesting, like just the reality of the first few years, like it was three years in, I was, you know, living on below the poverty line. Like I like made it work. I lived with like six people in a shared house. I was like airbnb being my bedroom two weekends. So then my rent was like only a few hundred bucks. So then I had money for food and I was like, that's it. I got a free bike for my sister's friend. Like I was like, really like just, I need to just make this work. But the emotional toll on that, just in being under that much stress and pressure then reflects in the fact that like, I I remember in the first few years, people were saying like, it's just about time management. And I was like, it's not time management, it's guilt management. It's just how many people am I going to disappoint? <laughs> you know, how many people am I going to have to cancel on? Or can I not commit to? And it's definitely gotten better. But in the early years, I, the only metaphor I can have, and this might be completely inappropriate because I don't have any children, but I can only compare it. I used to run a daycare to having an infant. It's like, I can't leave this infant alone right now at this stage. It needs to be fed every few hours. I need to be there. Eventually I can take some time off. Eventually there's a babysitter. Eventually they're going off, but like in the early stages, the amount of needing to keep it as close as possible and to be available can take so much out of you that, for me, the, the biggest change is just being surrounded by a community of entrepreneurs, both in working. I'm, I love co-living, so I, I do live with a number of people who, who happen to be entrepreneurs and artists, but also really getting in touch with myself and understanding, now that I have a bit of breathing room. If I'm just not feeling it today and I'm so stressed out and I can see that I'm bringing the stress into my team, I let myself bail for quote unquote. I let myself leave. And that sometimes is one of the most important things because I, especially as a designer and a business person, you pride yourself on all the different things you can do and how hard you can push. And sometimes that's necessary. And I'm definitely pushing very hard right now with this launch. But at the same time, giving myself the ability to just take a break, go for a walk. I have a lot of friends with condos and they have saunas and that's like one of my favorite things (laughs) ever. So I have a friend who had a condo on Carlton street and I called it the Schwitz Carlton. (laughs) And then like, it got out of hand. Like I would like bring people to the Schwitz Carlton, but like, I know the things that I need for me to reset, but there's no way that I would be mentally as okay as I am. If I didn't have just other people that were going through it with me.
1: Yeah, I think this staying alone is so hard. Staying isolated is a real challenge. And one of the tools that MJ showed me years ago, which I use all the time, is this extend and restore one to 10 on how are you extending yourself this week and how are you restoring physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually? Spiritually, How do you extend yourself and how do you restore yourself? And the first time I'm like, extend 10, 10, 10, 10. (laughs) I extend the crap out of myself every single week. I give everything I've got until I'm a puddle on the weekend. And then she's like, "Okay, great." And how do you restore yourself? And I was like, "What? What do you mean? do I restore myself?" And I had the hardest time. I remember sitting there thinking, um, "I have a bath. I have a bath." Like literally, that's all I had. I have a bath. You know, workout whatever. Because even my my physical, I would blow myself at the gym or something. I, it was extending. It wasn't restoring.
0: Mm-hmm. And so
1: I I just love to know what entrepreneurs do, and I love. The fact that you said you just bail if you need to, I do the same thing too. And it also then models that behavior for your team, which is like, I know I can get stuff done in five minutes when I'm on. And when I'm not, I can sit there and stare at my computer for three hours. Why would I sit there and stare? I'm an entrepreneur. I created my own rules. I see that a lot with entrepreneurs. We think we have to work 24 seven. You have to always be on. But it really is a a true sign of maturity, shall I say, (laughs) if you can sort of step back. And do you, so Schwitz carlton is a thing, got it. Do you have any practices at your business for your team to remind them to take care of themselves?
0: I think we're at a really interesting place where I don't feel like we actually practice as much as we teach right now. So we talk about play, we talk about taking care of yourselves, but I think one of the challenges I actually have is that I think I model a bit too much of the, excre- like, working really, really hard. The one thing that we've been working on this this year, especially, is making sure that everyone has, is taking their vacation, but also making sure that we make time for play. So Fridays, we'll, not every Friday, but we, we were doing this for a while, and we're, we have a lot of board games. We have a lot of games that we play, and, like, we'll bring in food or something. Um, also, just having, like, team hangouts we have one of the people on my team has this amazing cabin and it's a it's a, he invites us out every summer and so we'll spend the weekend together which is quite nice but i think like in the day-to-day taking breaks taking steps we're in the process right now where we don't actually have our space isn't big enough for us and so the intention of our new space the next uh, kind of phase that we're moving into is going to be designed around the idea that like let's start eating more communally if we can and let's have more designed moments of serendipity if that makes any sense because it's so easy to just walk in sit down just start doing work and you lose so much and there's so many missed opportunities to develop your culture and be really intentional about it those are some of the like really key things i mean we do have a swing i installed a swing a few years ago so that i call that my mood swing so we take a lot of like swing breaks on it but intentionally designing breaks this is the first year where other than obviously over the holidays, but our Kickstarter ends on October 13th, which is happens to be International Day of Failure. <laughs> but we are taking the entire week off, like it's like pretty much nice. mandatory <laughs> as much as possible. We can start making plans now for what I'm going to do that week and how I'm going to going to rest. But I think it's an ongoing process. I think I think I'm going to get much better at it when I get better at it for myself if that makes any sense. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I
1: remember uh, I had this incredible mentor when I was getting started and I said, if you had your life to live over again, what would you do differently? And one of the things that they said was take off every Friday and integrate slash read, take off a week, every quarter to remind myself that I am not indispensable. (laughs) Literally it's, it's uh, the world will go on without me we're doing sort of a version of that in our cadence too like we do 3 weeks off at sort of christmas time holiday time winter holiday and then breaks during the year and then people can take their holidays but yeah this it's kind of cool to shut down the whole office like obviously we're not in crisis management so we can do that we're like yeah, yeah okay you know yeah <laughs> um, but depending on what kind of company you have you can create rules right to yeah. to really take care of people and look after their well-being so
0: yeah, um, and, to, and to encourage it. Like you don't want people to feel guilty for taking time off. You want them to be excited to share what they did on their vacation.
1: <laughs> yeah, we have this thing right now, which is in the world, I mean, in general words, like unlimited vacation, but like nobody takes vacation when you have unlimited yeah. vacation because they're watching just, everyone's out competing each other to be there 24 seven. in the, yeah, well,
0: the one thing I did want to mention, so I have a friend who's also a female entrepreneur, Erica Pearson, who started Vacation Fund, which is all about that. So it's employers matching so that they want their employees to take vacation because they're finding so much, especially in the starter community, people are not taking their vacation days, even if it's unlimited. Totally. Yeah. Wow.
1: Mm-hmm. I need to talk to you about getting more space too, because we need new oh, space really? too. So maybe yes, we should just collaborate. Anyone <laughs> else out there who wants more space, we should talk. <laughs> so we're just winding down now. Where can we find out about the failure toy? Because we're going to pop your podcast in right away. So you it'll help with your campaign. So where's where's the info?
0: Google Failure toy or empathy toy and then on social media it's at 21 toys.
1: Well, thank you very much, Alana, for everything you're doing in the world and we are really proud of you and what you've yeah. built and yeah. can't wait to see it go global even bigger than it is.
0: We are absolutely cannot be where we were without the community and they have already expressed so much support and excitement with our our this next toy. It will for every part of our history. And the one thing I would say is what I didn't expect to come out of this was how much I am now able to support and encourage other female entrepreneurs mm. to get involved, both as like radically generous activators, but also as ventures that sort of can really f- believe that they can think bigger.
1: Thank you. Awesome. <laughs> well, thank you for paying it forward. That's <laughs> the greatest impact that I could have. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the SheEO.world podcast. If this conversation resonated with you, please share it with a friend and subscribe on your favorite podcast player. If you'd like more information about SheEO, please visit us at sheeo.world. That's S-H-E-E-O dot world.